the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 598 for Monday, March 28th, 2016. <laughs> The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show that's like car talk for Apple geeks. You send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share your tips, your questions, and answer them and share cool stuff found. And together, the goal is for us to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 10% off and fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, makers of both iPhoto Library Manager and PowerPhotos, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. We'll talk more about both of those in a little bit here. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing today, John F. Braun? Fantastic. It's Monday again. We had a holiday yesterday, and actually, in addition to it being a holiday, it was my wife's grandmother's 99th birthday yesterday. So that was, uh, that's where I, I was actually all over the place. I was down in your, well, sort of in your neck of the woods. Well, I knew that because um, uh, Swarm uh, snitched on you, man. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, that's what it, that's what it's supposed to do. That's right. But yeah. uh, no, I, I like it. Um, and I've been killing it, man. I'm, I'm like just destroying people in my, so I'm like number one so far in my swarm circle. Yeah. So, um, I figured the secret though. You taught me something too about a keystroke. I didn't know about what's that. Oh, to, to, to check in from inside. Yeah. The I always thought yeah. I had to do it through Foursquare to get the badges and stuff. And then you said, well, have you tried this thing? And I'm like, Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, it wasn't entirely intu- intuitive, but, um, right. But yeah, holiday weekend, you know. I, uh, so this is a I, weird uh, holiday in terms of the fact, it, because it doesn't always fall on or even around uh, Lisa's grandmother's birthday, which is always the same day. And uh, and it's because, do you know how Easter is calculated? It's the first, I, I think I'm going to get this right, but correct me if I'm wrong. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon that happens on or after the vernal equinox. Oh, okay. So it could be gather... any time from like March 20, whatever, first or second until like April 25th or something. Okay. Because of course, before that, which we had also, the, the kiddos got this off, was a good Friday, which is, you know, the beginning, um, if, if you're in the Christian thing. Right. Is, well, that's the always the Friday before Easter. The, uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was good Friday and, you know, uh, the schools had that off and uh, our schools don't do it, that up here. Yeah, we it was used kind of to. A, well, it's kind of a weird, it, it, it's like a pseudo federal holiday. I mean, you know, I got my mail and, and stuff, yeah. but you know, a lot of things were closed and then Easter, same thing with Easter, you know, and you know, everybody celebrated it in their own way. I, yeah. I went to my parents and we had a, you know, Easter gathering. Cool. But, um, let's do it. Are we so ready? Yeah, I could. Well, I'll, I'll ease into some of the new things in my life. Okay, you know, we'll, do, we'll, we'll start new. with some cool stuff found here because that's you know because that's how we go. 
we we need that. We do. Everybody so, needs cool stuff. In uh, yeah. So Scott writes, he says in the last episode, 597, there was a discussion about mapping multiple points in a contact list. Uh, you mentioned syncing Google's uh, syncing to Google and then using their, their, their Chrome extension to do that. He says, that's one way to do it, but I'd like to offer an alternative that works with any list and doesn't require Chrome and can be easily changed or updated. Try the free service batch We've used it for our company to display where our customers are, what type of business it is and more. Uh, he says the minister who sent in the original quest would find it very, very easy to uh, set up and use. So batch is the uh, is the link. Thank you very much, Scott. That's good stuff. And uh, and you can just start pasting data right into their website. It's fully, you know, all HTML5 and fun and all that good stuff. So, Batch Geo. Cool. Thanks, man. Moving to, uh, to Jason, who says... Uh, I think I got to find and see if he sent this to us, how he sent this to us rather. Uh, I don't think he sent it. He found a thing on Twitter that I don't have in our, uh, in our, in our notes here uh, called mail to self at mail to self.com. It's an iOS extension that lets you mail yourself notes from any app. And it just adds a little extension so you can be anywhere you want and say, mail this to myself and boom, it automatically addresses an email to you and sends it so that uh, you can, you know, keep yourself, keep your notes to your, you know, use it for notes. Pretty cool, right, John? I think it is cool. I, I did a variation of that. So there was uh, something that I, I was going to bring a printout of. Sure. Because I'm old school that way. And I was going to bring to my family when I went to their place and and I forgot it. But what I did is I did transcribe it in the notes app mm. so i was able to when i was uh when i was at my uh my parents place i was able to take notes and run it and uh print it out well cool. actually email it you know from notes on the phone yeah right to uh to their computer and then print it out there uh, i like yeah. it logging into their new um did i talk about their new uh router that i set up there it's, yes uh, you did yeah yeah, I did find out. It's actually, so I went to the status screen. It actually is an Eris something or something. And if you look up the model number, so if you go to the admin page on it, it'll tell you the, but it's Eris and then it has Xfinity on it. But yeah. uh, dude, it's smoking. Cool. Cool. Um, moving on to, uh, are we ready to move on? Yeah, no, not much okay. more to say about it other yeah. than, uh, you know, I had to give the new login to other family members because I changed the name of the base and a new password and all that stuff there. But um and it kind of makes me sad because they get three times the download speeds that I do. <laughs> well, you so could get more thing. if you paid for more, right? Or or does it I your could. provider offer? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I think they're the, the the standard plan. So I measured it, and so the, whatever plan they're on, they get ninety megabits uh, yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, my standard plan, I get about thirty, which mm. uh, they keep increasing it, just not as re- uh, uh, not as much as um, Xfinity does. Which uh, hey. That's, that's how it rolls. Other than that, I'm very happy with uh, with Up Online. Good. That's good. I mean, you know, and you could get faster. I don't know that you need it, you know? Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, 30 megabits, you know, which comes out to about three megabytes a second, um, it is, is fine for, for what I, I use it for. 
But yeah, I think they actually offer, they call it Ultra 100. Though I think it actually comes to about 100 bucks a month ex, uh, total for the internet. If you want to get 100 megabits down, you can. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, doesn't make sense for me at this point. Uh, right. Yeah, well, it could though. So there you go. All right, moving on to uh, to Alex. He uh, he sent this to us actually a little while back. It's called Colossus from Sparkfield.com, and uh, it's like a uh, it's a system monitor thing that sits in your menu bar, and it has a nice little drop down that shows you your CPU usage and your memory usage and your network usage, and it's available in the App Store and it's free. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes too, because because why not? It's what we do. Did you check this one out? Uh, in the process of rebuilding my systems, which I may go into a little more detail. Yeah. Um, no, I'm still an iStat menus type of guy. That, uh-huh. That's still, uh, to me, is one of the better packages. But hey, options are, are always good. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want something, and this is not as full-featured as uh, iStat menus, but if it's, you know, if you're looking for something easy in the menu bar and free, then you, there you go. All right. Uh, let's see, moving on to PJ, PJ, in addition, in the, in the spirit of replacing things, he says, having the windows management in El Capitan is kind of annoying as it only works for enabled apps. Uh, and he's talking about the full screen split screen thing that you can do in, uh, in El Capitan. And he says, and the worst part about it for me is it goes into full screen mode. And so I don't get all my other apps at the same time. He says, there's an app called SizeUp from a radiated software that's been around for a while, and I love it because it lets me do the same thing with my Windows without having to go into full screen mode, and I can do it with any app that I want. So we'll put that in the show notes, too. It's lots of cool stuff found this week. And I think we've mentioned SizeUp before, but it's good to mention it in the context of El Capitan and the uh, split screen view. So. In the uh, in the geeky realm, John Tommy tells us about a service called uh, from ThinkUp Broadband. And if you go to ThinkUp, or sorry, not ThinkUp, Think Broadband. I was I was thinking of SizeUp at the same time. If you go to ThinkBroadband, ThinkBroadband.com slash ping, it is a free remote uptime monitoring solution. So you can uh, keep an eye on your connection, or if you have a specific machine that you want to keep an eye on, you can do that too. But really, it's built to make sure your home broadband is uh, is staying online, which you know can be helpful in terms of telling you if you were having problems. Like you, uh, you talk about your. You tell me all the time that your Synology sends you emails saying that it it went offline and it came well, back you know, online. I this turned might turn that off. Because it was so annoying, and the thing is, I I, I kind of concluded that I think they're wrong. Yeah, but you're the when, only when they, person I know that gets those emails, quote unquote, okay. erroneously, right? I mean, because I'm All a right. Synology customer, we have lots of them. In fact, we'll talk about some Synology stuff. I've got a Synology thing right, very next on the list, but um, it it never gets it wrong for me. It's it's a hundred percent accurate when okay. my you know the only time I get emails saying it's offline is when it's you know like my network okay. is down or something. All I'm saying is that when they when I got a notification saying that you know so specifically Synology offers a DDNS dynamic domain hmm. name system service and what we keep saying is I can't reach the IP address that you provided to me 
Right. Um, or rather, the Synology will send a, a heartbeat out. Right. And it kept reporting that, well, your, your, your network's down. But the thing is, I could connect to that IP using other services. I could ping it you know, when I was outside of my network and I, I was able to VPN into my Synology you know, using the service. So, I don't know. But it remains to be seen. What, what what's going on with that? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Is this could help you uh, exactly keep an eye? Yeah, on well, I'll try them out and just see if the two are in sync. Yeah, I mean, if Synology keep it, and yeah, it could be just me. Yeah, well, <laughs> it is just you in terms of it, I've I've heard about it from no one as far else. as you know. As far yeah. as you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in the Synology news front, Synology this week uh, released DSM six for their disk stations. DSM. Uh, is short for disk station manager and uh, six is the latest version of, uh, of disk station manager to come out. And it's a pretty big update. It'll run on most disk stations that have been released since 2011. So it's, it's, you know, relatively backward compatible. In fact, extremely backward compatible. Um, it, all the, the features are, it, they're too much to go through here, but a couple of them, that I wanted to mention first is they've added uh, indexed finder searches to this. So you can have the Synology build an index of the contents of any volume or folder in a volume for itself to use. Now, uh, if you go to the web interface and you can, you can search inside what they call file station, which is just their way of browsing files. But that index is also exposed to the finder when you connect over uh, AFP or SMB, I think <gasps> actually, really? but certainly over AFP. Yeah. So you, you know, when you do a search in the finder, it sends that search to the Synology and the Synology instantly. Now, if you have turned on indexing for that volume, which you need to do in the control panel, and it'll take a little while, obviously to build the index, depending on how big it is. But yeah, they, you know, and, and these folks, uh, you know, they're obviously a cross platform company. They, they make stuff that works, you know, their things aren't, just for the Mac, but they really are Apple focused there. And I've been really impressed with how they do like things like this, but also uh, their, you know, like uh, video station, which is their media server has an outstanding iOS app and now an Apple TV app called DS video that lets you access your stuff directly from either, you know, your iPhone or your iPad or Apple TV. So, um, so that's that. And then they also added file requests to DSM six, which is something I've wanted for a while. Cause I have all this storage here and it's online. And occasionally I want to just give people a link and say, Hey, upload whatever it is that you've got going on, upload it here uh, to me. But that's a pain in the neck. Cause I got to give them like a login to my Synology and all that. Not anymore. Just file requests, just like Dropbox file requests, uh, except these, you know, upload to your private cloud. So Pretty cool stuff. There's a ton more features in DSM six, okay. and it's free. But so those enhance. are my favorite too. Oh, nice! Because they used to. I mean, you used to be able to search the content on the device that was using their interface and was kind of buried, so it wasn't that great. So they extended that, and then I think you could always send a URL to someone saying, "Okay, I, I've I'm going to let you download a file from my Synology," and that was always cool. But now they're they're same thing. They're enhancing that, so now you can. Go in the other direction, I guess. Which, uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty I good. Like them. Yeah. Now that it's released, I'll try it because you know, we, 
Well, they had, and, and you tried the beta that you didn't do it on a production unit, which I, I would certainly not recommend. Well, it's, but it's out now. I have it on my production unit. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're right. I had tested the beta on a non-production unit. Yeah, I've got too much data on my disk station to have to risk that. But um, yeah, it's good stuff. They, I mean, they, it's a, it's a big update for them. So I've been, I've been impressed. <laughs> then we have people that release production software that has some. But while we're getting to that, sorry. Yeah. Well, no, it's true. It happens. Uh, I got two things I want to add to. Well, you you listeners don't know that I'm adding these to the agenda, but John does. Um, I don't usually get too crazy about cases for your iPhone because there's a million of them. Uh, But I've experienced two recently that that have made me kind of go, huh, that's pretty cool. Um, One of them is from a company called Handle, H-A-N-D-L, from, uh, and the URL is handliberation.com. And it's, uh, it's not a new concept, but it's actually a very well-executed uh, implementation of the concept of having a little kind of finger handle on the back of your iPhone so that you can hold the phone with one hand and use it without it falling out of your hand. Uh, it's, and it's built into the case. It's actually a really nice leather case. It's about 50 bucks and, uh, it's got this little, you know, little, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Just a little handle on the back that, that snugs up nicely to the phone when you're not using it, but it can also be used as like a stand for the phone, either in uh, landscape or portrait mode. And, uh, and of course you can use it to hold your phone and it sticks to the case or it doesn't stick to the case. It's part of the case. So, which is cool. So, uh, I will put that one in the notes. And then, uh, and the, the second one is from a company called evolutive labs. It's their rhino shield case and their whole thing about it's 25 bucks. It's a really, really lightweight and thin case, but it'll absorb, I think 12 feet, almost 12 feet, 11 and a half feet of impact. Uh, and they've, they really kind of went out of their way to develop a, uh, case that exceeds military drop standards, but isn't a big, massive, thick thing. It's really thin and um, comfortable. It, it just, you know, they said people have gotten used to thick means protective and thin can mean protective too. So uh, I, I like this case. It's really nice on the hands and it's thin, but still 11 and a half feet of uh, shock absorption, which is cool. So I'll put both of those in the show notes. That one's 25 bucks. So is good. Is good. And uh, lastly, I think, John, we have the uh, Wi-Fi calling came out for everyone uh, this week or last week with 9.3. But what you may not realize is that uh, especially AT&T customers who have had Wi-Fi calling for a while and might not go into this setting. But if you go into settings phone and um, go to... Uh, Wi-Fi calling, which I will get there just to make sure. We're, yeah, settings phone Wi-Fi calling. Uh, you can tap the button that says add Wi-Fi calling for other devices. And then you can add the ability for your iPad or other iOS devices to make phone calls over Wi-Fi even when your phone is not in proximity, which is pretty cool. So it's not like FaceTime audio that's just linking with your phone and and doing it that way. This is it just your iPad's just going to go online with Wi-Fi and uh, make a phone call, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, well, I had a lot of fun with it because Verizon 
So with 9.3, Verizon customers like me finally got the Wi-Fi calling. And at first, I was kind of baffled because, you know, I turned it on. So I went, you know, as you said, if you go on the phone screen now, it uh, says, you know, Wi-Fi calling, you want to turn it on. Uh, so I guess it's off by default. And I said, yeah, sure. And then it asked for an address because Wi-Fi doesn't provide accurate um necessarily provide accurate information as far as your location for 911 stuff so they ask you okay input a address where that'll get reported if you do use 911 when you're on wi-fi but then i tried my darndest dave to try to enable it because on this phone they claim in their help article you know it's active because you will see in the menu bar uh, on the top of the screen you will see vzwy-fi and i didn't see it and i'm like what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working? And thanks to talking to you and a couple of my other uh, posse out there, uh, I guess we determined that at least Verizon's implementation, well, one, you can force it. So I actually found, so I dug around a bit and I found, so you can force it by putting the phone into airplane mode and then turning on only Wi-Fi. Hang on. You, you just confused this thing all over the place. So, um, because you alluded to what's actually happening three times, but you haven't said it. So I'm just going to say it. Um, if the phone is lo- if the signal to the phone is low, it will use Wi-Fi calling. If the signal to the phone is strong, that th- this is the LTE signal. If the signal yes. to the phone is strong, it will not use Wi-Fi calling. That's what yeah. John's trying to say here. And then, well, as you said, you can get force there, but you got there uh, first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, you got past it. <laughs> it was the problem you were going to talk about well, I was turning off end, airplane. Mode. I was going to end with that, but okay. thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Yes. The thing is it doesn't. And my understanding is that depending on who you're with, some will always use it no matter what Verizon's choice is. If you have a cell signal, an LTE signal that's strong enough, it will use that instead, which kind of makes sense, I guess. Right. It does. My, actually. my expectation yeah. was yeah. that if I enable Wi-Fi calling, it would always use it if it was on Wi-Fi. And that is not the case with Verizon. Not I with Verizon. It the- might not be the case with any service. Um, it, I, I'm not sure. It's I've never really paid attention to it because um, at my house, my service is always between one and two bars anyway. Uh, so I've, it's always just been on. And then I notice sometimes when I'm out and about, if I'm on a Wi-Fi circuit, it will, um, it will, you, you know, jump to Wi-Fi calling, but not always. And I never really thought about why that would be. I, actually, I did, but I assumed it was just because there were, you know, it needed to poke the right holes in the network and have the right amount of bandwidth and latency. And if it doesn't have those on some public Wi-Fi signal, it wouldn't use it. But it might also be related to the signal even on AT&T. And that makes sense. Um, y- you know, along these lines... When Wi-Fi calling came to us on AT&T and I realized everyone in the house had a device that was capable of doing it, I unplugged our microcells. Microcells are those little devices that create your own little cell circuit based on your broadband connection. And since then, and I didn't think about this until you and I started testing this week, but since then I've noticed my battery life when I'm in the office or at home on my iPhone has been much worse. And I think it's exactly because I turned off my microcells. And so it's been actively searching for a signal more because I have weak service at the house. And um, so I turned on the microcells and, well, let's see. I've been at the house all day and it's about 6 p.m. Eh, 56%. That's 
it still seems lower than it should be given how, how little I've used my phone today. So I got to sort that out. But anyway, it was a good theory. Yeah, and I think looking here, so the thing is like most, well, I don't know, but at least Verizon, you can actually see a log of your calls if you go to their website. So I log into verizonwireless.com. Yeah. And I think it's logging my Wi-Fi calls. The reason I think that they're Wi-Fi calls is that what it shows, the destination is blank. So like it shows a couple of calls that I know I made. Yeah. And and it shows who I made them to, but it doesn't show anything in the destination column. I'm suspecting those could be the Wi-Fi calls. So it, it, they, they are aware of them. I mean, obviously of they course. are, but it says VZW Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah. Just, I was curious if, if they would include it in my call log. They should. Yeah. Apparently I mean, it's a do. call via Verizon from your phone. It just happens to be that you're connecting to their network via Wi-Fi instead of via LTE, but it doesn't, I mean, it's just a data connection. It doesn't matter how it gets there. Yeah, and a handoff is cool, too. I tried this also. So I would initiate a Wi-Fi call, and yeah. I think I did it with you and I did it with one other person, and then I actually turned off Wi-Fi, and it just hands it over to LTE, and the person on the other end like didn't even know that, that it switched. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So hats off to them. I mean, it's a, well, I mean, it's all RF. It's all an RF. Correct. Yeah, know, the, pipe. right. That's the thing is mobile phones, have, I mean, we call them cell phones. They're not actually cell phones anymore, right? Um, it's not using cellular is it hasn't been well, a long time cellular in the sense that you're talking to a grid of yeah access points whether yeah. they be cell towers or wi-fi access points right in that case i would say that cell is accurate sure okay so you're only yeah, talking enough. to any one of them at any one time and there may be a handoff whether it be from like in this case the handoff can happen between different technologies it'd be like oh all right well you're going from wi-fi to lte okay yeah or lte to wi-fi and I think you can, I mean, hats off to those guys. It's just, it's just awesome how it happens and they handle it and, and you, you can't tell the difference. The only thing I did notice with the Wi-Fi talking to a couple of people is sometimes it would drop out and get kind of almost like I'll, I'll call it cell sounding. Sure. And that the voice quality was, was less than ideal, but well, um, and that's recovered. That's something that we'll all get this year is um, if you're on either wife a wi-fi uh, phone connection like this you know at&t wi-fi or verizon wi-fi and uh are calling or if you're on an lte voice connection you most current iphone or all current iphones and and i think even last year's models are capable of doing what has been termed hd calling and uh right now we mentioned this in a recent show but if you call within the same network, so if you call the Verizon customer, John, or if I call an AT&T customer that also has those capabilities and is on the right network, you'll get this really pristine uh, connection. Kind of like we have, you and I have right now with Skype. But if you don't have that, or if you're calling someone who's on a different network, then you get the kind of eight kilohertz, um, uh, you know, wide phone connect, phone style connection, which is terrible. But later this year, we should all get the, um, it'll, they'll have uh, cross-carrier interoperability with the HD calling, which means that you and I can call each other with, with HD and it should sound good, which is good. But we can do that now anyway. We just use FaceTime audio and it's way better. And if you're on Wi-Fi, then it doesn't matter. So anyway, yeah. uh, moving on, I want 
to, we have a bunch of questions actually about Wi-Fi and um, all kinds of great little routery things that you folks asked. And the first thing I want to do though, is talk about our sponsors for today. If, uh, if that works for you, Mr. John F. Braun. It, uh, of course it does. All right. Longtime listeners of this show. Heck, even short-time listeners of this show will know that we love utilities that extend the functionality of the apps that Apple gives us. And Fat Cat Software has been making one of those utilities for a long time. They are the makers of iPhoto Library Manager, which, of course, now that Photos is out, needed to be changed. And that's what brings us Power Photos. Power Photos extends the functionality of photos by truly letting you manage the libraries that you create with photos in very, very creative and necessary ways. In fact, I couldn't live without power photos because Apple doesn't do enough with the functionality that they add to the photos app. Power photos lets you manage multiple libraries very, very easily. It has its own photos browser, which allows searching list view you can copy photos back and forth between two different or multiple photos libraries, or you can take one library and split it up. If you've got one that's too big, let's say you've been storing your photos on your laptop for a while, and now you know, you've only got a 256 gig SSD in there. Well, you need to do something with it because it's going to get too big, but you still want to be storing the new stuff because that's what you do. Well, guess what? You can use Power Photos to split that library up Put one part of it, maybe the older part, on an external drive that you don't need to have plugged in all the time. And then you can have your new stuff still going to your existing photos library, even when you're out and about and you don't have that external drive with you or plugged in. You can merge libraries together. You can eliminate duplicates and you can migrate things together. It's really a fantastic piece of software. And it's so well done because even though Photos is new and therefore, of course, Power Photos is new, the concept of this is not new to the folks at Fat Cat Software. They've been making the utility that did this for iPhoto, iPhoto Library Manager, for a long, long time. So you got to check it out. Here's the trick. Visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. That'll go to their Power Photos page, but it's their way of knowing that we sent you there. But there's another way of knowing that we sent you there. On top of that, once you're there, use coupon code MGG. That saves you 20% off of the license, not just of Power Photos, but it's a combined license of Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager. So you got to check it out. Visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Make sure you use coupon code MGG to save 20% off of that combined license. You're going to love it. It's one of my favorite utilities. Check it out. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software for sponsoring this episode. Our next sponsor today is Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash MGG is where you go to start creating your website, your home on the web. And it doesn't matter what type of page you need. In fact, they work so hard on all these templates. They just work on any device that you use to visit it. And you get to do all of this for Squarespace right inside your web browser. It's really brilliant the way they've created this because the web browser is what you're going to use to visit your website. It's what 
other people are going to use to visit your website, what a perfect place to be to create your website and to modify it. It's outstanding. They just introduced five magazine-style templates. You've got to check this out. If you go to their blog.squarespace.com, you can see they've got these awesome templates that make your website look like a magazine, and that's the beauty of it. You get to pick what your website looks like, but you don't have to design all the nitty-gritty of figuring out how to make your website look beautiful. Squarespace has already done that. You then just put in your pictures and your copy and whatever it is you want to do. In fact, if you want to use their pictures, they're right there. You're good to go. They also have a partnership so that you can use images from Getty and it's just outstanding. You got to check this out. Visit squarespace.com slash MGG and then coupon code MGG will save you 10% on your first purchase. You get two weeks free when you sign up at squarespace.com slash MGG. And then when you're ready to buy coupon code, MGG saves you 10% on your first purchase. And if you sign up for a full year, which of course you're going to do, you're not going to be moving your website around. You get a free domain with that too. The plans start at just eight bucks a month. That's before your MGG 10% discount. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. It's Wi-Fi time, John. Because this is the year of the router. So, you know, we got to go there. It's always Wi-Fi time. It is. Or it should always be Wi-Fi uh, time. Yeah. If you can get a signal. That's right. Well, let's talk about that. So, uh, Gerald asks, he says, uh, greetings, wise ones. He must be talking to our list, the rest of our listeners. Uh, he says, uh, we live in an area where my Mac sees about 35 Wi-Fi connections. Uh, ours is visible to others, too. Can you guide me in adjusting the Wi-Fi settings so that I can get the most out of my equipment and service? I don't have any complaints about how it's all working. I just have this nagging suspicion that the default settings are not the best, given all the other networks around us. I've never mucked around in the settings on my following devices. It's got a surfboard SP6141 cable modem, a Linksys E8350 uh, router. Time Warner is the cable provider. He says, I realize this topic's been covered before. It has, but it's worth revisiting. Um, so you're right. Sometimes the router's default settings are, are, are the best, and sometimes they're not. Here's the thing. Many routers, and your Linksys will do this, um, will scan its surrounding area and configure itself to be as efficient as possible based on the rules that the manufacturer, in this case, Linksys, have defined. So it's going to go and scan all your wife, all the Wi-Fi networks around you and what channels they're on and what's strong and what's weak and all of that. And based on that, it's going to come up with a decision for what channel or channels, depending on whether it's a, um, a you know, multiband router, uh, that it should be on. And sometimes it's going to get it right, and sometimes it's not. Um, when it doesn't, some of the reason can just be the logic in the, you know, in the, the code, but other times it can be based on the fact that your router only makes its decision based on what it sees in its location. Your clients, however, might see something very, very different in their location. So I always like to check everywhere with a tool like iStumbler on your laptop, right? Where you can go around and you can see, iStumbler will show you 
what it sees wherever your laptop is. And that will allow you to see what networks are strong based on where you are, what networks are weak, what channels they're on. And you can start to make an intelligent decision at that point about what channels to put your radios on uh, in terms of, you know, if you can find an open channel and it with, with five gigahertz uh, you, you'll see it as you start to do this, but there's, you know, essentially two, um, 802.11 AC channels. And then there's, you know, if you start breaking it down into 802.11 N, you can get more, but with AC, it's basically two, you got low band and, and high band and they'll, other than that, they'll overlap each other. So you just got to find which one is best and use that one. But, um, with, with 2.4 gigahertz, you've, you've got three channels that are usable one, six and 11. You really don't want to use any others in there. But again, you want to take your laptop and put it where you're going to use it as opposed to where the router is and see what your laptop sees from there. And then you can decide what channel to put your router on and, and, uh, and go from there. That, that's how I like to do it, uh, John. I'm going to tell you what I like to do. So number one, so iStumbler is a fine piece of software. Um, though I, I do believe you have to throw down some coin. To purchase it, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. and not, uh, and I'm not telling people not to, but but I'm appealing to the thrifty people out there, and also people who just want to use what's built into OS 10. Well, you can. So built into OS 10 is a very, very rudimentary scanner. And how do you find it though? Because um, normally you'll see the Wi-Fi icon. You know, it has different you know, little little radio waves in in the menu bar. Sure. And normally, it just shows you who's near you. Um, so there are a couple of ways to get additional information. So one, which is useful, is, of course, if you hold down Alt um, or Option and you click on the icon, it will not only show you the access point that you're connected to, but a whole boatload of statistics, including some things that are useful, such as the transmit rate, the mode, uh, something called an MCS index, which is is another way of saying how fast can I potentially talk, RSSI and noise, which now those are starting to get into the geeky things, those figures that are measured in DBM. Um, so we want to look at those figures, um, but that's kind of tedious. Now they do have something, but also if you hold down the alt key, you're going to see a choice, open wireless diagnostics. Oh, well, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? And if you go to wireless diagnostics, this is a program that is built into the OS that will do various useful and interesting things. And I would say probably the most interesting to see what is around you, similar to what iSumbler does, but, but also it's, it's very rudimentary, is um, if you go to the window menu and say scan uh, or option four uh, or command four, I'm sorry, That'll show you a list of the access points that your machine sees. It'll also make a recommendation as to what it thinks may be the best channels for you to be on. I, I would take them with a grain of salt. Dave, I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. Apple gets it wrong for sure. Because they'll start okay, telling I, you to I wasn't be on, go that far. But they'll they, start but telling they, you to be on channel two or channel six or sorry, channel seven or eight or something. It's a it's Well, that's a what mess. mine is saying right now. Mine is saying the best 2.4 gig channels for you are 11 or two. And, and I think, as you said, most people acknowledge that two is not a good 2.4 gigahertz one. No. Right. It, so, so that's one thing. So the, so the Apple utility, I mean, it, you can be on two. 
Here's the problem with using that though. Uh, if, if it's choosing two because one is full and six is full and 11 is full, it, it seems to make sense. But the problem is when two routers or two radios, but typically routers are on the same channel, they'll actually sync up with each other. Or at least they, they could sync up with each other if they both have the technology to do this and essentially signal in, in a pattern that doesn't conflict with the other one. They have to slow each other down, but that's, listen, that's just a fact of life when you've got, you know, radio wave contention or radio bandwidth contention, I should say. But if the radios are on different channels, they won't do that. And the problem is channel two is very, very close to channel one and will actually, channels one and two will overlap with each other. So you get all the collisions and none of the coordination of being on the same channel. And so it's better to just be on the same channel and let the radios right. do what they can do. So okay. that's why. Yeah. All right. So that's my, so my one recommendation is here is a, a peek into some of the enhanced features of OS 10 that you can use to help uh, look at your Wi-Fi environment. These mm -hmm. diagnostics, there's also a lot of other options, but then here's the second one, Dave, if you want to do a thorough job of determining how to best, uh, arrange your Wi-Fi access point or points in your household, then you really need to to take a step beyond just using a scanning utility. And this is something, uh, especially if you're an IT type and you work, uh, especially you know in an enterprise, it's something called a site survey. And what is that? That is basically running a piece of software that asks you to basically basically run around uh, your site and it surveys the signal. Um, and my favorite piece of software on the Mac, and I believe now it's also for Windows, and uh, and there are various versions. I think there's a, a thrifty version, and there's also a version that gives you a lot of uh, awesome additional features, and that is called NetSpot. And cool. I mean, it was amazing when I ran it. That First, it asks you to actually give it a layout of your house. So you have to draw a picture, do some measurements and stuff. And then it asks you, okay, well, run around your house and, you know, click. Can you Can you import um, a uh, a map? Like, oh, I'm almost could, certain you could. You could. I, I think I, I drew my own uh, yeah. within the program, but okay. I believe you can import a, a standard, you know, standard graphic file. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering if it, I could like draw my map with with something like uh, SmartDraw, right? That we mentioned recently, and really get it nice, and then pull that into uh -huh. NetSpot. You know? I'm sure you could, and then it asks you to scale it. It's like, okay, yeah. you know, how many feet is it from here to here? And then sure. it gets, and then what it asks you to do is basically run around your location yep. and click the button to measure your signal strength. Um, and then when you're done, it gives you a map that, uh, you know, shows the colors relative to the strength of all the points that you see. And uh, that's really the, I mean, it takes time, but if you want to get the best coverage, that's really something that, well, if you choose to spend the time on it, you will reap the rewards sure, of yeah, having of the best coverage that you can get. Ah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, but it, it, you know, I, I think the the lesson here, in a general sense, is make sure to look at the various uh, radios that are going to impact you in the spots where you're going to use your network the most, um, and and really figure that out because the last thing you want to do is just look at from one vantage point and then start wondering about why you're your signal isn't great somewhere else and all that good stuff. So cool. All right. Uh, we will stay on the Wi-Fi topic for a little while. We'll visit uh, a question from Jeff that uh, is one we visited before, but 
is worth clarification. Jeff says, I'm in the process of upgrading my network um, to an AC 1900 router at your recommendation. Uh, a long time ago, you recommended using the same SSID for both your 2.4 and 5 gigahertz networks. And that way the device uh, client devices could pick whichever is best. And uh, he says, is that still the case? He says, I ask because I found a stack exchange post where the answers conflict with each other. One says to do exactly that. And the other says to do exactly the opposite of that. And uh, Jeff is wondering which is the right way to go. So the reason we recommend keeping your SSIDs the same is because with Apple devices, that's the only way the client device is going to be able to pick which is best. And that's because Apple's uh, Wi-Fi stack is built to prioritize the list. So, you know, if you go in on your Mac, you can't do this on iOS, but it's the same list. It's synced over iCloud. If you go into network system preferences and go into Wi-Fi and go into advanced, you will see on that uh, page there a preferred networks list. And you can reorganize this list. So uh, whatever is at the top of this list is the radio that your system will prioritize above all other Meaning that if it sees this radio and it has 20% signal, it will pick the first one on the list at 20% signal instead of the second one on the list at 100% signal. Uh, it's just the way it works. And you can use that to your advantage, but, but you need to have that knowledge to make an informed decision. So you may think or you may decide, hey, look, 20% signal to my 802.11 AC access point is actually faster than a you know 70% signal to my 2.4 gigahertz 802.11n access point. So I actually want to do it this way and I want to name them differently and I want to prioritize my AC one because it's so much faster even at you know 20 or 30% signal strength that that's the right move. And that might be the right move. Uh, in my house it's becoming more and more apparent that that's exactly what I should be doing is uh, connecting to my AC, even though through walls and everything, it's mu a much weaker signal in terms of signal strength than anything else. Uh, but, and because my devices won't automatically pick the best one in that regard, it, they will pick the 2.4 gigahertz one if they're both named the same. And that's uh, just interesting. So, uh, but if you, if you want your devices to pick what they think is best, then yes, name them the same. Uh, but because that's the only way the devices will do that. Unless you're using a router that's going to do some of that for you. Netgear has their, what they call their smart connect feature where uh, when you turn this on, you name all the SSIDs the same and the router will decide which radio each client should be on based on a number of factors that it kind of, you know, processes and then it will not let that client connect to the wrong radio. So it, it'll, it'll just de decline the connection and it'll sort of force it onto the one that the router decides is best. And this actually works really well. Uh, and then D-Link's got some stuff coming this year that, that does, accomplishes the same thing, but using a different set of protocols, 802.11K and 802.11V and 802.11R, which are all supported by Apple as well. So there's, there's many ways of doing it, but, um, 
in order to make it automatic, yes, the network should be named the same. But it's worth, if you want to be a geek about it, uh, it's worth doing some testing because you may find that you don't want them named the same. And that's okay. Huh. Interesting. I'm going to tell you a story, Dave. Go. Well, I'm going to tell you a bunch of things because that, I'm just that type of guy. So one, I'm going to tell you that we got a comment in our chat room. And where can you find our chat room? I'm going to tell you it's at macgeekgab.com slash stream. And one of our esteemed uh, regulars, uh, KiwiGram, says that he's had a, had a case of NetSpot proving that meat bags moving in front of the access point affects the signal. Uh, meat bags being another uh, word for people. Mm. And actually, I do seem to recall them in a classic Star Trek episode. One of the aliens referred to us as ugly bags of mostly water. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but that's important, whether you're a meat bag or a bag of water, because especially 2.4 gigahertz, well... You know what frequency microwave ovens operate at? 2.4 gigahertz. That was Star Trek Next Generation, not not original, classic Star Trek, though, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the old one. Uh, Ugly bags of next, mostly water. Well, next well, Generation, well, well, man. Picard was there. Nah, guaranteed. Uh, guaranteed? Really? Yep. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you a steak dinner on it, man. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. We're on. Woo! We're getting a steak dinner one way or another. But, um... Or it could have been both. You know, I think it's both. But um, anyways, the thing is, the water, uh, 2.4 gigahertz, uh, interacts oddly with water, especially. Uh, and five to some extent. But it's interesting because when I set up the new, um, this new Xfinity thing, it was funny because the guy at the other end, so number one, it is actually an Aris TG1682G is what the Xfinity modem is. But it was funny because when I was on the phone with the guy, so I had to get a tech because it was getting stuck in this crazy loop. And he actually remotely changed, uh, made the radios with different names. And I overruled him because sure. I said, uh, based on what I know, because yeah. I saw it. I mean, he did it. He, he changed it to the name I gave it and then called the five gigahertz radio, whatever, five gigs. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to undo that. Um, the thing that I noticed is when I was there on Sunday and I instructed, you know, various members of the, the family to connect, you know, my, my brother-in-law has an iPad and my dad has an iPad and I have an iPhone and an iPad. Um, when I looked at the status of the devices connected to it with the single, uh, you know, SSID, almost all of them had connected at five gigahertz of their own accord, probably because we're all relatively close to it within, you know, tens yeah. of feet. Yeah. Yeah. That so it was sense. nice to see that the devices uh, seemed, in, in, at least in this case, with Apple devices and, well, a non-Apple thing, they yep. made the right choice. They're like, this is the best connection, so I'm going to make this choice yeah. and, and go on 5 gigs instead of 2.4. So I just thought, I'd, yeah, I saw it happen in front of me, yeah. in front of my own eyes. And it was neat because this, this particular unit has a wealth of information about the stuff connected to it, as do many advanced routers. Apple stuff, eh, not so not, much. Not so much. That's right. Or at least you, you got to dig to find it. I believe there are screens that will show the status of the things connected to it, but it's it's not entirely obvious how to do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, um for me, my devices make the right decision when they're one or two rooms away, but three rooms away they always seem to want to pick the 2.4 gigahertz radio and you know, my, my connection, if I do a, a, a internal speed test, it's 
you know, double the speed to connect to a five gigahertz radio, the 802.11ac five gigahertz radio, even if it's just, you know, 25% signal strength. So seemingly very weak, but a signal and, and one it can hang on to no problem. It, uh, it's better. So I've, I've started moving some of my devices over to that, but, uh, you know, yep. Yeah. And, um, and actually you win. Yes. The I do. episode was home soil. Oh yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. 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 Ugly bags of mostly water. Um, the bad news is you do not specify what type of steak. No, I didn't. That's right. You just said steaks. So yes. I get to choose the species. Okay. That's good. <laughs> that's good. All right. Well, that's, um, so I mean, are we going to stick with, are, are you talking about, uh, uh, I mean, are you implying that we're going to eat human steaks to uh, to stick with the theme here? Is that is that where this uh, all, is going? All I'm saying is that you did not specify what type of steak. That's all I'm saying. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll negotiate. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I deserve that, I suppose. <laughs> all right. Um, John, not you, but listener John has a uh, a tip for us here. He says, maybe everyone knows this, but it was a surprise to me. I just discovered by clicking on the Apple menu on my Mac, holding down option, going to system information, and then selecting Wi-Fi, that it shows my detected networks and what Wi-Fi standards they're using. I had no idea that this information was available in the system profiler, which is essentially uh, where he's brought us there. Uh, he says, but it gets more interesting. It showed that mine and all surrounding networks we're using 802.11n. My new Mac has 802.11ac, and I have the Airport Extreme that has AC, so I was surprised. I opened up Airport Utility, and in wireless options, I had the 5 gigahertz network name unchecked, so that uh, but set to my network name with the word 5 gigahertz added at the end. I checked the box, and having remembered that you mentioned that you should give them the same name, uh, I removed the word 5 gigahertz, I then clicked save, and on my iMac, I refreshed the information. It showed that I was now using AC. I looked back in wireless options and airport utility, and the box for 5 gigahertz network name was unchecked and with the name grayed out. I'm not sure if this is a glitch or how it's intended to work, but it seems to have got 802.11ac working for me. I actually bought the AC before uh, the airport extreme before I had any AC devices, but now that we have some, I'm pleased to know that I got it working. So yeah, it's worth looking in there and seeing what your uh, what your radio is connecting at because uh, evidently there's a, a weird little UI. I don't want to call it a glitch, but um, a, a, a lack of clarity in terms of that that setting page that uh, that threw listener John off. So thank you for sharing that with us, John. That's helpful stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is that when you are setting up a Wi-Fi access point, and I've done this, and and various vendors give you different ways of doing this, is you may want to be selective about what bands you enable. Okay. I'll, 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 so, what, so the thing is, of course you've heard of 802.11ac, or if not, well, you just did. Now but you're the thing here. is, right. there's a long history. So 802.11 is the standard for wireless connections. And uh, I believe the first introduction was 802.11b. 
Then they came out with 802.11. I think A was one that wasn't too, too popular. Then 802.11G, then 802.11N, and 802.11AC. I think that pretty much covers the gamut of... You missed G. We were, oh, I we thought were, I said G. Did you say Sorry. G? Or did so I? Yeah. B, A, G, N, and AC. And then I think AD is the next one. So I think that's pretty much the full... Yeah. I think that's right. And AD yeah. is still kind of experimental. or uh, so. But those five, you're going to see. And, and I mentioned them, I think, in pretty much increasing levels of speed. If you don't need one, especially, and I've done this, so I'm, I'm just going to suggest that you may want to try this, but if you don't need one or you want to discourage slower devices from mucking things up, you may want to exclude, and I think actually, Dave, in my environment, I think I've actually turned off B and G because I don't have any B or G devices and I don't want them uh, slowing things down. Sure. Or maybe what I'm saying is crazy. I don't, I don't know. The, well, the thing is, if you, if you don't need a band, the thing is uh, allowing devices that are slower doesn't necessarily, on some older equipment, devices that are slower can potentially drag everybody else down. Well, let's explain so why if, that is, because we've talked about this and airtime and I know fairness. Just, yeah, and, and you, you explained it quite well in the past, but but explain it again. So, yeah, so I think it's safe to say that excluding on older equipment, excluding things that operate at a slower speed, especially B, which is 11 megabits, um, mm-hmm. and G, which I think is 54 megabits, may be a good choice. It can be. Yeah, the problem is that devices are given when uh, when a radio... When your router says, okay, you get to talk now, it, it, it kind of goes device by device and says, all right, you next. Great. You're done. You next. Okay, great. You're done. It just does this. And let's say it does it in a round robin. It doesn't, but, but for the sake of argument, let's say it does. Uh, when it goes to a device, what it says to it is, all right, there's some contention. Somebody else wants to talk. So you get to send a fixed amount of data. And the problem is if a device, if one device is slower than the other, the slow device gets way more airtime than the fast device because they're all being given the same amount of data to send before things move on to the next one. And, and so that's why a slow device can slow you down if it's not only connected, but wanting to talk and wanting to talk lots. So if it's just saying like a quick little, Hey, I got a little, you know, one tiny little packet to send or receive. It's not going to slow your network down. But if it's got lots of data, gobs of data to send, which most of these slower devices don't, but some do, then that's really going to slow your network down. And that's where uh, some of these newer routers have what they call airtime fairness, which instead of where the router changes its protocol and instead of doing it and saying you get to talk, uh, you get to, to say X amount of, of data Instead, it says you get to talk for X amount of time. I don't care how much data you get to send in that time. When you're done, you're done. And that then frees things up and it gives more time to the faster devices and the faster devices actually get to be faster. So that's, there's, that's my best explanation for that. Okay. So the new stuff takes care of this problem. The old stuff probably doesn't. Yeah, but so. airtime fairness is a really new thing. So it, okay, so I may not even have that on my. I'm almost link. certain you don't. Oh, if okay. if you haven't seen an option for it, you don't have it. No, I haven't. Okay, yeah. okay, good. Yeah. All right. So from this point forward, uh, we'll we'll see route, Wi-Fi routers that have 
an option, a better for ability that. to yeah, yeah, to kind of balance things out. Yeah, okay. But Very you nice. know, just having like if I think the Nest is an eight hundred two eleven G device, maybe. Um, but you know, it's not sending a ton of data, and a lot of these kind of Internet of Things devices are all these sort of lower power two point four gigahertz slower radios. They're not going to kill you because, again, you're just sending like tiny little snippets of data here and there. It's not going to kill your network. So it's just important yeah, to remember. Like, turn yeah. off, turn on. That's it. Here's the temperature. Here's the temp. Yeah, yeah these are, yeah. I mean, this data. Yeah, it's not the, sending a video. Correct. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it is, that would be interesting but um, and bad, interesting, but, you know, interesting nonetheless. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It All can right. be fun. Or can, can have you ripping fun. your hair out if you have any left. That's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. All right. So let's um let's wrap up our 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 router discussion with Chad's question. And we'll try and keep this brief, but it's not a brief question. Chad says, um, I was a diehard Microtech fan for years and still am. Uh, but those routers are not for the faint of heart. I had one at my house and had installed one at my dad's house. And they ran fine for years, but as luck would have it, both of those died within three days of each other. So I'm in the market for replacements. I do not need any Wi-Fi performance from the routers. I do that all in my house with a managed ubiquity solution. So this is a geeky setup. He says, but what I do need is a powerful router allowing the following uh, DHCP, DHCP reservations. No problem. Port forwarding. No problem. A VPN server built in preferring PPTP, even though I know it's insecure because it works way better with phones and laptops QOS uh, so that I can manage my bandwidth and simple IPV six implementation. It says Microtech fails here. So any of those are going to also provide you with uh, any router that checks all those boxes is going to provide you with good Wi-Fi service as well. Um, but, and, but you could turn it off if you've got some other Wi-Fi stuff, that's fine. Uh, he says both locations have high-speed internet connections. They both have Synology disk stations streaming movies via Plex to uh, Roku units and Apple TVs. They both have security uh, cameras. He says, I like the ability to create my own host names so that I can type router instead of 10.1.1.1 and etc. And he went and bought one of the Netgear routers, the R8500, I believe. Uh, he says, it's okay, but honestly, other than the smart QoS, I'm not really impressed with the OS and I don't like the UI. He says, he says, then I heard on your podcast, you were talking about the Synology router. I wish I had listened to that, uh, but I can return the net here and, and get that. What router do you recommend? <clears throat> so here's the thing. Um, once you've had a really geeky router, like you have with your micro uh, you are not going to be able to go back easily. It's possible, but you're going to give stuff up. And one of the first things you're going to give up is your, the local DNS where you talk about using your own host name. So referring to your router as router and having that all managed there. Um, most routers aren't going to do that. In fact, uh, the Microtix, I believe, will. Any router that's running the third-party DDWRT firmware is going to do that. And I believe Synology's router will do this for you. I, I, in fact, I know it will. Uh, so the Synology router is an interesting one because it's their first router, which would always, you know, generally anyway, make me say, whoa, no, you know, don't get that. But it runs their, uh, it runs their, uh, a router OS that's very, very strongly based on the thing we mentioned earlier in the show, disk station manager. So 
they've got this really mature and robust platform that they've built a router on. And it makes a lot of sense. So if you want a geeky router that's got a lot of flexibility and features, but doesn't, uh, but, but, you know, still has kind of a, a, a fun UI, the Synology router might be your answer. And I, I would recommend that to anyone in your position except you, Chad, because I know that you enjoy all the little nuances. And I think the only thing you're going to be happy with is Microtik or DDWRT because you want all the geeky functionality. But the Synology one is the closest of all the kind of, you know, off the shelf routers, if you, if you will, uh, to, to do that stuff. So it, it's worth checking out. I really like it. Um, there you go. That's, that's, but y- y- you know, it, for most people, if you want to check all those boxes, uh, most routers will, will do VPN. Apple's will not. Most routers will do VPN, but very, very few will do PPTP. They mostly do open uh, VPN because it's far more secure, but it's a pain in the neck to get the iPhone working with it from, you know, I mean, it's doable, but it's just, it's, it requires a lot of extra hoops to jump through. Oh, it's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. You're right. But it's not just, you got to import a certificate. Exactly. I, I, I agree. Exactly. Rather than just providing credentials. Cor- yeah, you correct. have to. But, um, but it's doable and, you know, and like Netgear has an app that'll install that stuff for you. So it makes it easier and it is more secure, but, um, but yeah, yeah, you can't just provide credentials. So I'll throw those, those out there. Okay. The only one that I'll throw out there, because this is what I have is the TP link Archer series. Now, the only thing it doesn't offer, which I don't think is unusual, but it does not offer a VPN, but I believe it offers all of the other services that he talked about, DHCP reservation. But you have to be careful with TP link because they've made an interesting politically uh, or political decision. All right. Let me, let me just, uh, okay. No, I know what you're going to say, but let me just finish here. Okay. So so what, so my solution though, all right. So it offers, I think all of the things that he was looking for. So it has, you know, it's 802.11ac, reservations, quality of service, you know, it's kind of their quirky yeah. brand of it, but it does have it. Yeah. The only thing is that they don't offer a VPN. And so my solution, so one could be uh, like my esteemed colleague does, is he likes running DDWRT. And as far as I know, the TP-Link will accept that, even the one that I have. Uh, but I have not for long. And the A7. And yeah, I know, I know you're, wait, wait, wait. Okay. What I do though, is I run OpenVPN on my Synology and I create a tunnel through my TP link to go to my Synology to offer my OpenVPN service. So that's another uh, kind of a sideways endorsement of Synology. Yeah. Is that I'm using their NAS, which is like, dude, it's a NAS. It's offering VPN. And the answer is yes, it does. So that is my, I guess, hybrid solution between my TP link and my Synology I get all of the things that um, yeah. that our friend is looking for, but yes, you bring up an excellent point, and uh, now I, I will I will give you the bit and you can run with it because <laughs> I uh, but no I, I read about this and it concerns me, but um, uh, TP Link uh, is someone that has made a, a political. Well, the FCC has made some interesting rules for router manufacturers um, that basically keep they 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 want people they they want to keep people from overclocking the radios in their routers and, and violating FCC broadcast standards here in the U S and I totally get that. There's no problem with that. Um, that's totally doable in many ways. Power, like a power standpoint. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, but it's doable in many ways. Unfortunately, one of those ways is to ensure 
that users don't install anything other than the manufacturer's firmware on there. Uh, so TP-Link has chosen that path. And as of June 2nd, any router that you buy from or any router that's produced from TP-Link after June 2nd of this year, you will not be able to put something like DDWRT or uh, Open Word or Tomato or any of these other firmwares on there. Um, they, they're, it's unfortunate because all these router manufacturers would have to do is work with the people that make DDWRT and say, Hey, don't let this particular chip go faster than or you know, be stronger than this. And they would put that limit in there and it'd be no problem. Uh, but they've chosen not to do that, which is a shame because again, there's, you know, easy ways to do this and still give users all this functionality, but It'll just put TP-Link in a different category. You know, geeks have liked it for a long time. And if assuming they stand with this decision, it'll just become, okay, well, nope. Geeks won't be into it anymore. And it's fine. Doesn't matter. That, you know, that, that really, I, I hope they rethink it. Because the thing is, I mean, from a hardware standpoint, yeah. I mean, if they're concerned about power, I mean, why don't they just make it so that the components that have to do the, the RF stages of uh, cannot be well it, uh, limited, it, limited from a hard, do you see what I'm saying? Is yeah, but you can't, it so, that's much harder to do that because yeah, they're just buying, effort. yes, I agree. They're, they're buying off the shelf, uh, you, you know, they're buying a, a chip from Broadcom say, and I don't know if it's a Broadcom chip in your router, but I think it is. Mm, and uh, yeah, and, and they're just buying this chip and putting it in the router, which is fine. Uh, but that chip can be programmed if you know how to program it to do anything that that chip is capable of doing from the factory and they don't want to have to buy custom chips from the factory. So yeah, but still it would be easy enough to just say, can you put this block in? Yes. Awesome. Then we'll give you the key so that that firmware can be installed on our router. And then they're covered. They haven't done anything irresponsible and you know, they aren't letting users do anything bad and it's good. I don't know. So I guess so they're going to disable the ability to flash new firmware, I guess. They're going to make it more difficult. I mean, I don't or know. Make that, it, yeah, because my thought was, too, is like nothing's impossible. Correct. But they're gonna, they may make it so that you'd rather not. Uh, you would have to jump through so many hoops in order to and, load and, different firmware that most people would not be willing to go through that trouble. And potentially brick your router in the process. So, yeah. And we don't well, like to always, brick our router. <laughs> well, that yeah. was always a yeah. risk with with the uh, DDWRT, I remember even back in more so back in the day. These days, not not as much. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I I brick my router pretty re- pretty regularly. Um, but I've been testing some stuff. And but it, you know, br- it, there's there, there's varying levels of bricking your router. One is that you just need to reset it and and reprogram the settings. When I say I brick my router, that's what I do. Is I get it to a point where it just has to be reset. But sometimes you can brick it where you've got to crack that thing open in order to even, you know, like use it again. And sometimes you can brick it to where you can't even do that. So, but, but these days it's really hard to get it uh, anywhere other than just reset. So you may have to open it up and press the magic button or. Not even the magic buttons on the outside. You just hold the magic button down for 30 seconds and it wipes the settings and then you just, you know, reconfigure it from scratch. And you're good to go. It's easy. So, um, uh, we've got a couple more questions. We can get off the uh, the router thing. So, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Jack because I think Jack's got a good one for us. 
I think we'll see. We'll see where we get. Hey, John and Dave, Jack calling from Maine. Mid-2011 MacBook Air model A1369 that has been behaving erratically. There are times when I will try to select a document or folder, either in the desktop or in a finder window, and the trackpad, as well as the Bluetooth mouse, simply won't select the item. I can move around a browser window or select something on a web page, but when it comes to anything having to do with a finder, it simply won't click on the document. I'm suspicious that the logic board may be either failing or has failed, so I'm wondering if there is a way to diagnose this. I can reset the PRAM and it will fix the problem temporarily, but the problem just comes back. Any thoughts or advice you have are greatly appreciated, and here's where you cut me off. Don't get caught. (sighs) You got it, Jack. Um, So the interesting thing, folks, is we got a follow-up from Jack that he reinstalled El Capitan and thus far, the error has not returned. So, and, and based on if the if resetting the PRAM fixes it for a little while, that's indicative of something in software. Uh, if you know if it's not working, not working, not working, you reset the PRAM. Now it's working, and then something happens where it goes back, and now it's not working again. That tells me it's software. Um, something in the in the driver, something that you had running. I don't know. What do you think, John? You knew I had an opinion on this because I've actually had personal experience with this. So number one, I'm going to share a little story here about something that where I almost thought I destroyed my computer. So, um, I was actually cleaning my MacBook pro 2012 and was using, uh, they have these, uh, you know, disinfecting wipes, but they're like wet wipes. But, right. uh, you know, they're, they're good for getting, you know, whatever gunk, you know, you get on your computer. And so I used one of those, but I had uh, uh, absentmindedly not dried it off. So I'd actually left a, 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 a little layer of, uh, of, you know, whatever fluid they use. Yeah. Uh, and then I, typically if I leave the house, I'll put my computer to sleep. So I actually put it to sleep without removing the fluid. Well, when I got back home, I experienced trackpad wackiness and this is because some moisture had seeped into the trackpad and the trackpad being an electrical device and moisture getting in there and apparently it's not uh watertight um it took a little while for that problem to fix itself and i think what eventually happened is the the liquid that had somehow gotten into the trackpad had evaporated Mm. so but this story is not just me telling a story the thing is you may have moisture in there no moisture can not for Jack. Affect. You did, but just because you did doesn't mean Jack does. If Jack, well, I'm suggesting, can, I'm suggesting it uh, as a possible. Yeah, but if resetting the PRAM, if let resetting me, the PRAM me, solves yeah, it, yeah, 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 I get it. All right, no. let me let me keep going here. Okay, well, I just want to tell a story. All right, uh, well, no, no, no. It's obvious it pro- that you want to tell right, a story. So, <laughs> yeah, but can so we can we address Jack's? It, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So it wasn't moisture, but I just want to offer that that trackpad issues could be related to moisture or humidity. In this case, I don't think it was, but now when you're looking at the trackpad and Bluetooth devices, what, you know, I mean, what's the common thing that links them together, Dave? And I'm going to tell you because I did run into this problem with another one of my MacBooks. What links them together is that they are both USB devices. Mm -hmm. How do Mm -hmm. I know this, you may ask, is because if you go to the system information portion of the Mac and how do you do this? Well, one way is you can go to the Apple menu and hold down the alt key and you will see instead of about this Mac, you will see system information. 
That gives you a treasure trove of information about all the hardware and software and network and everything in your computer. And if you click on the USB category, you will see not only a Bluetooth USB host controller connected to your USB bus, but you will also see your trackpad in all likelihood connected to the USB bus as well. So this could indicate a problem with your USB hardware. Now, I did have a problem with my one of my 2008 MacBooks, MacBook Pros, and it actually was a USB problem. And the reason I knew this is because I saw in the console constant, constant, constant messages about USB this, USB that, connect, disconnect, blah, 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 reset. I think that, so the thing is, in that case, it was clearly a USB issue. And when I sent it to Apple and Apple Care, they pretty much said, yep, we're replacing the motherboard. I bet I bet this is a USB issue for Jack, but it's a, a driver issue. I yes, I, I I think we can agree on that. Now yeah. you can see these USB events either, like I said, in the console. If you search for USB, you should see something with the weird USB in it. The other thing is also I mentioned it once, and I'll mention it again. There is a tool called Hardware Growler that, among other things, will show you hardware connect and disconnect events. And if you see your USB spazzing out, like your trackpad or your Bluetooth, all of a sudden connecting, disconnecting, connecting, disconnecting, that would suggest to me that there may be a problem with your USB. Well, it could be the driver or it could be the USB hardware. Well, so see, this is interesting though, because Jack's problem is that it was just clicking, right? He could move things around. The devices would be connected, but it would... It would not let him click, which tells me it thinks a device is either in somehow, you know, perma up mode or perma down mode. And we've seen issues like this where, you know, somebody will have something resting on a, a, you know, a Bluetooth mouse that they've forgotten about. That's like in the corner or something. And, you know, you put the notebook down on it and now it's clicked. And now you can't click anything else, right? And it, but it, this can also happen in software, and it sounds like that's what was happening with with Jack here. Is um, my guess is it was the built-in one was registering incorrectly somehow, and um, hopefully, uh-huh. you know, reinstalling El Capitan kind of flushed that out, and it won't keep rewriting that to PRAM. That's yeah. Yeah. Another thing with Bluetooth, I have heard uh when people have experienced odd Bluetooth device behavior. Yep. Although you should get a notification, it may be that the batteries are low. Mm-hmm. The bat the, the uh, on yeah, the Mac, if you're using an Apple Apple USB device, like an Apple USB mouse, it should or, or keyboard, it should tell you when the battery is running low. And if the battery's running low, it may have just enough, but quite enough juice to send all the messages it should to the computer. Yeah. So that's another thing. You may want to, you know, check the batteries and make sure they're, they're at a good level. Um, I have a, I have a Bluetooth question from Rich that gets very interesting. Rich, right. Rich asks, he says, um, my quest, this is, this is going to be a geek challenge. I, I don't even know if it's possible, let alone if it, it exists. Rich writes, Uh, I tend to join many conference calls while I'm driving. While I can dial via Siri on my iPhone, 5S is what he has, I cannot mute my phone's microphone via Siri. 
and my car Bluetooth solution does not pro- provide a mute switch in the steering wheel. It says, I've seen some Bluetooth strap-on mini controllers for steering wheels. Essentially, they're uh, mini Bluetooth keyboards with only certain keys, like play, pause, uh, and mute for speaker audio, but not input, microphone mute. It says, I would like to be able to mute my microphone from the steering wheel so I do not have to reach over to the phone to unlock it and then hit mute or unmute any ideas. And, uh, and, and then, and then he goes to talk about a problem where, uh, he says after using Bluetooth, sometimes after disconnecting from Bluetooth, the audio from my iPhone will not work at all, or it will have screeching sounds coming from the speaker or headphones. Doesn't happen all the time. And I could go on for days without it coming up. I've missed many phone calls and texts because the audio is dead. I never hear the ringer alerts, etc. Also, I use my phone as an alarm. The only fix is to hard reboot the phone. It'll work for a while, but then the problem comes back. I've wiped the phone via iTunes and reinstalled all my apps manually. The issue came back the same day of wiping uh, after using Bluetooth for the first time. So um, in terms of the, the question about how to mute the microphone with Bluetooth, I don't even know if there is a keyboard command that would do that. You know, if you could connect some sort of, like you said, Bluetooth remote control device, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping one of our listeners does, because that would be, I I totally get why you'd want to do that. In fact, I've caught myself doing the very thing that you talk about, because you've got road noise and, you know, other things happening. Sometimes you just want to mute the call, but there's no safe way to do that. That was an option on the call screen. It is. That's the problem. He has to wake his oh. phone up. I uh, okay, okay. And he's looking for a way to maybe have a, a, a equivalent keystroke on a Bluetooth device to exactly to do that. Just to do it more safely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm surprised thought... this hasn't come up before. Huh. And I, now I, one I'm thing... almost certain when I was using a Bluetooth headset briefly, which I actually don't do the phony thing in the car. I do other dangerous things, but not using my phone. But I, I thought when I had one, it was a Motorola mm. earpiece. I thought it had a sequence to, to do a mute. It might, but that would have been your headset as opposed yeah. to telling the phone to mute. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, which is two different things. His, his Bluetooth is linked to his car and I've used Bluetooth in a bunch of cars, rental cars and my own cars. I've never seen a mute button. Um, you know, in the car's microphone. So, huh. uh, yeah, well, that's it's an a, oversight, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I just, again, I can't, it, it's, it's shocking that this hasn't come up before uh, because I've caught myself doing it too. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know the magic answer. As far as your screeching sound. <sighs> yeah. I don't have an answer for that either. I, it, I mean, it sounds like, separately from your first question, you know, your, whatever your phone, whatever your car is doing to your phone with Bluetooth is putting it in a non uh, optimal state. And I know that's overstating the obvious, but uh, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a magic answer other than finding another Bluetooth device to connect to it uh, that would, you know, kind of reset it and get it out of that state. I, I don't know. He didn't mention what kind of car it was. So I, it's interesting though. I would love to come up with an answer for the first one. It'd be good to have an answer for the second one, but that's a little more specialized, but uh, 
Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting, interesting. I'm surprised it hasn't come up before, John. Just how we go. You know? That's how uh that's how it works. We have um we have a bunch of stuff about iCloud logins and App Store logins and all that. So we will uh I wish I could take the time to rant about how 11.4 seems to have broken iCloud on both my computers, but we'll have to wait until the next we'll show. Do, we'll do it next show. We've got some questions <laughs> about it, too. Yeah, no. Because it, I think I'll figure it out by then, because I've actually would been be good. in the process of doing a rebuild on my various machines, because it seems they broke it only on the OS X side, not the iOS side. iCloud seems to be working great on my iOS devices, but they did something, man. Yeah. I don't know what they did. I, but, I know. Uh, you may want to you may want to not rush into 11.4 is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I Unless have you got a good uh, reason. Um, well, the good reason is you know, if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. Yeah, or you want the latest shiny. Because yeah. who doesn't want the latest shiny? That's and right. Dave, if you have the latest shiny or old and busted or the new hotness, whatever it is, you may want to tell us about it. Or you may just want to contact us with a question or a comment um and the way to do that dave or one way at least is you could send us an email and the place you would do that dave is you would send an email to feedback at com. that's feedback at com, folks and you may not have heard dave right because you're on wi-fi calling or <laughs> using wi-fi <laughs> with your provider but it's feedback at com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, in which case, premium at MacGeekGab.com is how you uh, will get in touch with us. And you can learn more about premium at our website, of course, MacGeekGab.com. You can call us. The phone number is now 224-888-GEEK. And John, geek is and has always been. And always will be 4335. Come check us out on Facebook. It's been uh, the community there keeps growing. It's out. It's an outstanding, ongoing conversation that we're all having with each other. And and I, I almost said that you're having with yourselves. I, I we're there. John and I are most certainly there. But we are not necessary uh, for it. It's a beautiful way that you can all just converse, uh, and we don't need to to be there to keep the conversation going. Uh, although we are. And uh, yep, and I saw one. Actually, it was when I was at you know my parents there on Easter, and I saw a question. It was actually uh, someone that you and I had dealt with in the past here, a, a friend of ours, uh, Jason Wong, and he asked a question. He's like, "Hey, I I clicked on the home button twice on my phone, and all of a sudden my screen went down. What's yeah. up with that?" And before I could get there, so I got a notification that the question went up, and before I could answer it, like three people or four people already dogpiled and said, "Yep, this is why." Yeah. So um, awesome is that because there's the community, um, Dave and I might not get there to answer the question because somebody else already knows the answer. And if um, you've got because- answers, chime in. It's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, so that's at MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. That's how uh, that will redirect you there because, of course, we don't own Facebook. It would be different if we did. A lot different. Would you uh, want to? Um, well, I mean, there's the obvious you know, um, there's a financial benefit to owning Facebook, but uh, well, you have a big pile of dough, but um, yeah, it's a it's a big headache. But it's like herding cats. I mean, who wants that? Well, I don't know. I mean, 
I don't think they tried to herd the cats. They just um, <laughs> they, they, they 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 pull data out of the cats and and you know kind of process that. I don't know. What are we talking about? I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And of course, our excellent sponsors, uh, Fat Cat Software with Power Photos, as we mentioned at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG there saves you 20%. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG also saves you 10%. The folks at Gazelle, gazelle.com, where you can sell off your used stuff. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Casper, casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks and gets you free shipping. And of course, the lovely folks at barebones.com. It's been two shows that we've recorded on Mondays. We're moving back to Sundays now that, uh, I think we're moving back to Sundays. I think so. I'm I'm 99% certain of that, John. And uh, so that'll happen next week. We'll be back on our normal schedule. I hope you have a great week or six days. Until then, one less day to worry about this, but still, it's important that you don't get caught. Made up.